This is Ibarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by PhotoBiz Exposed, an interview podcast which takes the mystery out of the business of photography. Learn from some of the industry's best as Andrew Helmets discovers how people make their passion their life's work. Find out more by visiting photobizx.com forward slash TCF. If you want to make a living as a professional photographer, there is a lot to learn. Whether it's gaining clients, negotiating contracts, or just maintaining a sustainable profit margin, there are a lot of things to do beyond how to produce a well-exposed photograph. As a member as well as a director of ASMP, the American Society of Media Photographers, Jenna Close has learned how to create a successful commercial photography business. Along with her partner, John Held, they built their business by serving a niche market of companies involved in alternative energy. Part of that growth involved the early adoption of drone technology, which helped them define their place in the industry. We began by talking about how she and John chose to start their photographic business targeting the alternative energy industry. Uh, sure. I, um, <clears throat> when I was in school, I, uh, I went to the Art Institute of Seattle and we were required to go through a class in each major kind of market and subject of photography. So fashion, um, editorial, uh, um, and try everything out before we picked our major. And I really found myself interested in corporate and industrial photography. I like being on location. Um, I like going to places I wouldn't normally have access to and meeting people and learning about what they do. Um, so I was headed in that direction. And one of my teachers said to me, you know, um, it's a really competitive market right now. And, um, it's fine for you to just say you're going to be an corporate industrial photographer, but I would encourage you to actually look for some sort of a specific focus, at least when you're starting out. Um, look for an area that you're interested in. Also look for different areas that may have a, a need for um, better photography. So I looked around. Um, I grew up in Vermont, so I've always been around sort of sustainable living. And um, I started looking into the solar industry and at that point, they, uh, the industry was just coming back kind of into, into uh, a mode of, of escalating um, production. And it was back <clears throat> kind of in, in everybody's forefront of everybody's mind. But I saw that they really had a need for some better imagery. And I thought, well, this is, this is perfect. It's, it's an area that I'm interested in. And I, could, I, I can see very plainly where I could be a benefit to these people. And that's absolutely, I think that's such, such, such sage advice, not only in terms of, you know, trying to find a niece, but what you just said about you saw a need for something that you could provide. And I think a lot of people, when they're initially thinking about becoming photographers and, and looking for clients, they don't necessarily think of their role in that way. And I think it's absolutely val invaluable to think about it that way, to think about how can I provide a unique service to someone who really is going to need it because it makes the sales process, I think, a, a lot less challenging. Yeah. And that's, you know, for the first couple of years, I mean, we've, we've now sort of branched off from 
that specific niche uh, a little bit. But in those first couple of years, it was really easy for me to take the what little money I had um, and 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 put it toward this specific niche and really and really track how that um, what worked and what didn't. Whereas if I was doing a more broader thing, I think it would have been a little more more difficult. And <clears throat> I think it's an interesting point that you make. Um, I th- these days we really do have to think hard about what we provide. And um, I think that even goes beyond images at this point. Uh, what, what services like as photographers, as, uh, as, as these entities, what, um, what other value propositions can we put toward our client? What were you seeing in the photographs that, that the, these manufacturers and these, these companies already had that you felt like, well, I, I can give them something better. What what were some of the weaknesses that you saw in the images, and what were what were the specific strengths that you thought you were bringing to the table? Well, um, it was. Uh, I think a lot of people they were just you know they have their employees and their engineers on site, and they just have them grab a couple photos, and uh, so a lot of things were shot kind of at midday. Um, lots of high contrast, lots of you know a lot of times with the solar industry in particular and rooftop solar panels you've got these dark panels on this usually like a lighter colored roof so the exposures would be all off and just no real real thought about composition or lighting or or um you know putting the photo together in a way that really showcased the product and you know it's understandable that these guys are there for a different purpose but so it was pretty much we felt like we could improve in pretty much every single area uh, which was exciting. You mentioned before that you weren't working with a lot of money in terms of being able to promote and market yourself. So how did you leverage the money that you did have in terms of your, your outreach to, to these companies? Uh, what we did is we actually decided to um, start going to a couple of solar energy uh, industry trade shows. And this was at a time when the trade shows, there were a couple going on around that were relatively small. And, and um, while they weren't cheap, it felt like if we put our money toward this thing, we have a booth, the amount of people that we're going to be able to, to come across and talk to is going to be, you know, far greater than, than who I can research online. And, and also we could, we could leverage uh, the face-to-face aspect of it, because I think really that's the most potent kind of marketing technique these days is, is to really establish a relationship with people, have a conversation and they, they start to trust you and they remember you. So the first couple of years we did, these trade shows. And that was very effective. Um, I don't know. So no, now we, we've actually stopped doing them in recent years because the trade shows actually got so large and the solar industry itself grew uh, to be so large that after a while, the, the relevant people weren't actually at the trade shows anymore. Like in the beginning, you'd go and you'd meet like the CEO or, you know, the marketing director, and they would be there manning the booth and you could actually talk to them. Now it tends to be more kind of either employees who aren't in the marketing department or even just people who are hired. So mm. it became less effective over time for us. Oh, you've used the word we because uh, you work in conjunction with a partner. Uh, tell me about the, the you know, the, the, the working relationship that you have with John. How does that work? Uh, it it works well, usually. <laughs> um, we, uh, we live together and we work together and... Um, uh, it's just kind of this fluid thing. We, I'm very into the business stuff and sort of conceptualizing stuff. So I do a lot of that. And John is very technical. So he, uh, deals with the equipment. Um, he was the one who first 
pointed us in the direction of using a drone. So he's very into that that type of stuff. So we we actually complement each other really well. We have completely opposite strengths, but uh, it works out. So how did you guys decide that you guys were going to, to work together? Because I, I, I see some people who, who decide to work together because they feel like the like the other person compliments them in a way or or because they, they feel they're very similar, but it doesn't necessarily result in an ideal working relationship. So right. how did you guys sort of figure out this would be a good fit for you guys? We actually, so prior to becoming photographers, I was, my first career was as an actress and, and John actually was a professional juggler uh, for a long time. And so we actually met doing theater and we were partnered together for, uh, for this, this production that we were doing. And so we, we realized through that process how, how well we work together, because uh, that's certainly a very you know, collaborative medium, and that we were both interested in photography. And over time, we decided both of us wanted to leave um, our respective fields and we were just looking for something to do that was creative, that we felt that we that was well suited for us. And it just kind of fell into place after that. I mean, we were very used to uh, spending all our time together and working together at that point. So we just said, let's do it. Uh, Going back to procuring your your early clients, can you tell me about what that process was like? Was it truly difficult because, you know, you were sort of new to the market and also these companies may have not been really thinking in terms of getting high-end photography. How did you sort of negotiate all the, you know, all the various challenges regarding that? Um, yeah, it, it was difficult. I mean, it's still difficult. I, I, it, it doesn't necessarily sort of go in a completely upward trajectory of getting easier. But um, in the beginning, I think we were lucky because the clients definitely uh, could see that there was a need. Once once we, we shot some images and had a portfolio together, and we did that by a lot of times um, when I was in school, I would play the student card. And I think that this is a very valuable thing uh, for students you, that you, you're less threatening when you're, when you're, uh, when you're in school. And so I would often call up these big companies and say, you know, I'm a student, I'm trying to build my portfolio. I was wondering if, if I could uh, shoot some of your, your products or your solar panels or what have you. And, and a lot of times they granted me access. I mean, even to some pretty secure places like Sandia labs in, in New Mexico. And so that's how we built the, built up the portfolio. And that was all, you know, basically just free or trade for time kind of thing. And then once we got a few of the examples kind of our, of our consistent work and style, when we presented this to the, the solar, um, our solar clients, prospective solar clients, it, it was fairly clear right away that there was a, a difference and they were excited about, about the value and, and about, uh, you know, how our images looked compared to, to theirs. So that, that was probably easier for us than it can be for for some people uh, because there was such a dearth of good imagery in in the market at that time but again I think at this point it really is about the face-to-face relationships I mean just picking up the phone and calling people or finding a way where you as the photographer can get in a room with people whether it's you know a BNI like a, a business networking international type thing or going to um, meetings around town or any, any way that you can figure out where you can start having uh, a relationship is far more beneficial, in my opinion, than just sending out emailers or promos or, or, or things like that where you're, there's, no, there's no real face behind what you're, what you're putting out there. Yeah. You got the degree in commercial photography. Did you feel that that education really prepared you for um, you know, the contract negotiations, for determining licensing, or did you 
feel that a good part of your education came from, you know, getting in there and, and trying to make it happen? I, I think, um, I, I think that when I was in school, I mean, it's sort of both I, to a certain degree, I was certainly prepared. I had, I was lucky. I actually took a couple of, um, really sort of in-depth business classes, um, at my school. And I know that that's, it's uncommon at times for, for colleges to have even one business class, not to mention two that are so in-depth, but so that prepared me kind of on a cerebral level, like mentally, I was like, okay, I know I have to, I have to have a contract and I have to ask these questions and I have to make sure I, you know, do an estimate or whatever. But, but then there's a big difference between that and then actually having to make your living off of it and being in that situation. And, and some client asks you a question that you didn't learn about in school and you go, oh my gosh, like I have no idea um, how to answer this. And so it, it is, um, there's definitely learning that goes on after, um, for sure. I think the bulk of, of what I've learned has come once I've gotten out of school. Also my involvement with ASMP and just, you know, you just got to take everything one, one client at a time until you figure it out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the, the use of, of drones in, in your work. I mean, there's, that's been a big top topic of conversation and I was excited to talk to you uh, about you and John's use of it because you use it for for you for you to be able to earn a living from photography and while a lot of people talk about you know drones and you know how cool they are I I'd love to hear about the sort of the practical use that you guys have, are applying that technology to sure <clears throat> yeah and I, and I will say we're actually at this point right now we're actually not using it um, this year until the uh, the the regulations get get figured out. But we'll, basically the backstory on that is, is when we were shooting the solar industry stuff, we kept wanting to be in this kind of elevation range of like two to 500 feet. And, you know, you can get to a certain level on a, on a cherry picker with a pole. And then you can also get like really high in an actual, you know, air, uh, airplane or, or full size helicopter. But there's like this really, this sweet spot in altitude that we really couldn't access easily. And it just so happened to be uh, this this perfect angle for the solar stuff and so many other things that we've seen like drone footage is just awesome to look at um, and so John is uh, he's a commercial glider pilot and so he had been following some of the drone technology and was like I think we should use this this is a great tool so practically there's there's a million great purposes for photography videography I mean for us um, being able to take the photograph whenever we want. So not having to try and guess on what's going to be a perfect time of day and get the pilot there and take off. And then only to find out that the weather changed or what have you, the flexibility to just put this thing up and down whenever uh, was appropriate. And sometimes at just a moment's notice is extremely valuable. And um, I think, I mean, that's, that's the major thing. And I think for a while, before we started doing this before the drone stuff got got really prolific there just weren't a lot of stuff there weren't a lot of photographs taken from that angle so it was really eye-opening to people they were like wow how did you do that uh that is no longer the case but um for a while that was that was a really big draw that we had and john didn't just take uh, something that was just off the shelf and, and attach a camera to it I, I was reading that he actually spent a good amount of the time um learning the technology customizing it and developing it to to suit your specific needs. Tell us, tell us about that. 
Well, when we started, so I think it was four years now, um, when we or five when we first started researching, uh, looking into this, um, we they didn't even the, the technology was so far behind what it is now. I mean, it's like it just feels like the dark ages. I mean, there wasn't even you couldn't even get anything like a microcopter, an octocopter, the sort of um, you know, round UFO type looking things, they didn't exist. And so John actually had to, he bought like a kit, um, frame for basically what the, what the helicopter looked like is like just a miniature of a full size helicopter. So, um, and those are considered sort of old school now, and at least the photography industry, but, uh, that was all that was available. So he bought a kit and then he had to retrofit the kit and he did all the wiring himself and all that stuff. But he had to retrofit the kit to hold, uh, it was a Canon 5D at the time, um, because there wasn't there wasn't a lot of of stuff out there to do that. So he did that, and this, it, what was really interesting about that whole process, and it's just amazing how far the technology has come, is, is that in order to learn to fly that thing, it doesn't have any. It didn't. It's all manual. It doesn't have like GPS or waypoint or home buttons or stabilization or anything like that. So he spent a year on a flight simulator practicing. And then he bought a little tiny helicopter, which he practiced, and he actually practiced crashing with it so he could learn how to get himself out of falls and things like that. And only then did we purchase one that was big enough to hold the camera we wanted to hold. So it was this really, really long process, um, a lot of time invested, uh, which now doesn't take quite as long. So that's, that's a good thing, I think. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsor. As this episode aptly illustrates, the decision to earn a living from photography requires more than knowledge about cameras and Photoshop. It's a business. And for many of us creative types, there are often more questions than answers when it comes to creating and sustaining a photographic business. That's why it's so important to have a resource where you can learn from other people's successes and mistakes. The PhotoBiz Exposed podcast is just that resource. Focusing on the world of wedding and portrait photography, the show's host, Andrew Helmich, interviews some of the industry's best working photographers and gains insight into not only how to make a name for yourself as a photographer, but also how to earn a living. There are both free and premium versions of the show, and you can take advantage of a special offer being made available just to TCF listeners. Visit their website today at photobizx.com forward slash TCF and find out for yourself how you can make a living doing what you love. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the FAA issues. Uh, why don't you uh, get us up to date with what's happening with that? When we first started doing this this drone stuff, there the technology was provided a really high barrier for entry into into this market. It was expensive, it was hard to learn, and therefore um, there weren't that many people using it um, for, uh, for anything, really. Um, and so as this technology has advanced in these really amazing and wonderful ways, the, uh, the, the drones have gotten easier to fly, and the price of them has, has decreased significantly. And as is to be expected, many more people have started using them. So where it stands right now, I think the FAA became concerned just because of the amount of traffic in the skies. And there is <clears throat> some 
there is a point to that. I mean, we we share this the space with with fully manned aircraft, and now with what they, it's what they call first person view, which is when you can wear some goggles and you can actually fly your uh, your drone farther away than you can see with your naked eye. Um, so with with that technology coming into play, it's a lot easier to get kind of lost where you are, you know, in in the airspace. So the need for the need for regulation. I believe, uh, despite the fact that it's sort of curved that part of my business, I believe that it is necessary. Uh, where it stands right now is that they, the FAA just put out some proposed rules for uh, for where the uh, the commercial use will fall um, as far as regulations. Those are not in place yet. Uh, I know there was uh, some misunderstanding about whether those were actually finalized, and they they aren't. Um, they're still working on that. Uh, they have they at some point they have to come up with regulations for commercial use, so it will happen. But they're you know they're just having to sort out a lot of of the issues right now. Uh, there's also the issue of there's public safety, there's privacy, uh, there's First Amendment rights to free speech and press. So there's a lot of things that they have to take into consideration. But at this point, it's kind of a gray area whether they can really. Um, regulate the commercial use or not there um there was a i don't know if you've heard of of um the perker case where um he was fined for flying i believe it was actually sort of a a light aircraft but sort of a drone type thing he he was fined by the faa he was the first photographer to be fined and he won um he won the case he 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 took him to court but then the faa won on appeal so that's sort of this gray gray area right there. As you can see, it's been flip-flopping both ways. So it's just really for us, it's not worth it to push that limit right now. And and since it isn't cut and dry, what we can and can't do, we've decided to um, hold off until it's it's clear. Yeah. Well, even before all that ha- happened, what kind of precautions were you taking when you when you were using it? Because you're you're flying this equipment, which is notorious for not being foolproof. And you're flying right. it around these facilities where it's millions and millions of dollars of, of you know equipment that's around it where you know it would be really problematic if that thing crashed into. So what 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 precautions were you taking to protect both your clients and yourselves? We had um, well, first of all, we always flew with uh, with both of us. So John would be fully and one hundred percent focused on flying the uh, the drone, and I would actually be controlling the camera. Um, remotely and uh, and taking the photographs, so all he had to think about was keeping it where it needed to be, and avoiding you know any airspace issues. Most for most of the stuff that we were doing with the solar industry stuff, we really rarely needed to go very high at all. I mean, it doesn't with a wide angle lens, it doesn't take much to get it to get a great view. So we weren't flying you know way way high in the sky. Uh, so that that made it easier. We also had insurance, so we were insured for if we if we damaged uh you know broke some solar panels or crashed onto something someone's car uh we and i i would say that that would be an absolute necessity especially you know as things go forward was that outside of your already existing liability po- policy as a photographer no we 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 actually added a separate rc um helicopter policy okay yeah um especially for that and uh it wasn't it's you know it's, it's pretty standard um so i would i would say that that's that's very very important uh, and we were also just really cautious. I mean, John John's a pilot, so he would always, <clears throat> you know, he would check the airspace. He would make sure 
he can read all those sky vector maps and, and, and such where he, he would know what was in the vicinity. We stayed away from airports. We stayed away from um, flight paths. And we actually would turn down jobs if they were too close to anything that we thought was dangerous, whether it was a freeway or uh, a runway or you know anything, a park. Uh, we were extremely cautious with it. And I think that that's, even with the technology, even with all these great like safety features and fallback options, I think that it's still going to be very important to, to, to be very um, safe and careful and err on the side of caution with these things, especially for business owners. So how did, you know, the fact that you sort of got into this niche at a really good time and, and, you know, and we're one of the early adopters of this technology sort of helped the rest of your photographic business in terms of clients that fell outside of this particular genre? It's interesting. It, even, even for people who didn't need, uh, an RC helicopter uh, shot or a drone shot or weren't invested in, weren't involved in the solar industry. There's something to be said for kind of the, just the fascination with what we were doing with it at that time when no one else was doing it. So we got a lot of attention and interest just based on the fact that we had this thing. And I think that that um, actually did, <clears throat> did translate into, into other jobs outside of the the spectrum of the alternative energy industry. Um, and it just says something for, for trying to think outside of the box, you know, with marketing, even if we were marketing to someone who we felt would probably never use a drone, we would still make mention that we had one and that really perked up people's interests and it, and it helped them remember us. So when you, when you started reaching out to clients outside of that area, what, what did you guys start doing in terms of the way you chose to, to market yourselves, uh, um, in terms of, um, were you using email blasts? Were you sending out promo pieces? Uh, were you making direct calls? What exactly were you doing to reach out to areas outside of that specific area of photography? We 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 do kind of a combination. Um, we we have done we do some email blasts. Uh, we also send out some promo cards, and we try and keep it to a minimum, and also you know keep it very targeted. So we don't have a very big list. We go for quality over quantity, um, really looking for people whose style fits ours, or if it's an agency, uh, that they have some clients that, that we think we'd be a good fit for. We do a lot of, of business to business stuff. So I use LinkedIn quite a bit. I'll research people on there, uh, and find out who they know. And if, if there's a connection, like if I know someone, I know a marketing director at a solar company and he's connected to the marketing director at, uh, some other unrelated construction company, I won't be shy about asking for, you know, a reference or for a connection there. And that's been a pretty powerful tool. And since we were basically, we weren't really going in a completely new direction. We were, we were maintaining our, our target focus on sort of industrial and, and construction type stuff. So there were, there was a lot of crossover with people knowing people and, and stuff like that. But uh, we will do cold calls now and then, although I'm like the worst phone person. So <laughs> I really have a hard time. I really have to like force myself uh, on, on those ones. I just, I find it just completely nerve wracking, but um, it can be pretty useful. And then so a lot of times we'll just grab our portfolio and say, Hey, we want to come in and buy a lunch, you know, and, and just get to know you. We think, we think it might be good fit to work together. And that, that works very well also. With the way that the market's changed over the last, you know, several years, what have you found um, has been sort of the key to being able to not only procure procure new clients, but also sort of maintain the ones that you that you have? You know, it's really tough. It's just this constant um, 
I almost feel like I'm like running in kind of a hamster wheel sometimes uh, trying to keep up. What we do, we, we recently started offering video and that was, uh, that was a huge learning curve and, and it was in response to all, the majority of our clients at some point or another asking either casually or officially, do you do video? And we started thinking about this and going, you know, this is a lot of money we're leaving on the table. Um, it helped that we were interested in video. So we, we took the time to sort of invest in that learning curve. But I think to a larger point, it's, it's about being able to adapt. And I think that photographers generally tend to be lone wolf type people. We like to work by ourselves. And, and now I believe that there's a very big benefit to looking at, at collaboration. And it's, it can be extremely overwhelming, at least for me to like, see all this new technology and there's this new thing and there's that new thing. And, and how am I ever going to keep up with all this stuff? And I think it's important to remember that you don't really have to, I mean, you can learn enough about whatever it is to make sure that you understand, you know, how it works, but then you can hire experts. You can collaborate with that CGI guy or that video guy or that production person or that editor, and you don't have to be excellent at everything. Um, and that took a long time for me to sort of settle into my brain because I would just panic going, how do I, how do I keep up? And so <clears throat> basically with, with our marketing, we, we know that we can offer a wide variety of those services just by being sort of the producer instead of the photographer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wearing multiple hats. Well, you're a member as well as a, a director for the American Society of Media Photographers. And for, for people who may not be familiar with the organization, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, and what role has it played in your success as a commercial photographer? Sure. So ASMP, American Society of Media Photographers, it's a, it's a trade organization uh, for basically photographers of all all genres. Uh, we Mostly commercial, editorial, uh, that sort of thing. We um, We've been around since the 40s, and um, what we basically do is is we try and support the community uh, through through networking, through uh, advocacy. We do a lot of legislative stuff, and also through education. So we offer our members quite a bit of of business stuff, webinars, info on contracts and terms and conditions, things like that. We have around seven thousand members, and um, for me. The, how I got into ASMP was actually right after school. Like, as I mentioned before, I sort of stepped out of the, the, the school bubble and into the real world and, and realized that while I had a good foundation from, from my education, there was a lot I didn't know, especially about business practices. And I had heard mention of ASMP and I looked them up and it, it, it just so happened that they were doing a sort of an intensive like two-day uh, seminar um, in, uh, in Los Angeles. So I went up there and it was a lot of uh, a lot of lectures on various different things. There were lawyers there, there were photographers there, there were videographers there. Just this huge multi-day immersion into the business of photography. And I walked out of there with a roadmap for how how to st structure my business. Um, and I basically implemented everything they recommended, and and that was how I got where I am today. So I, I owe quite a bit to the organization. I believe very strongly in it and. It's just, it's so nice even now when I have a question or I don't understand something or I i have a call for a job that's a little over my head, which I feel I can do, but I need some help. I have this huge like nationwide network of other photographers who have the same values that I do and they, they believe in, in supporting 
each other. And so they will answer my questions. If you are in the Los Angeles area on April 25th, please join us for a full day of street photography in downtown Los Angeles. In this all-day workshop conducted through the Los Angeles Center of Photography, formerly the Julia Dean School of Photography, I'll walk you through the process of creating great street photography, and then we'll take to the streets of downtown Los Angeles. Afterwards, we'll return to the studio where we'll discuss and critique some of the images produced that afternoon. It's more than just a photo walk. I'll personally walk you through the process of how I make images and how I evaluate a day's work to choose the very best photographs. Sign up today by either clicking on the link in the show notes or the website or visiting the LICP website at juliadean.com. I, you know, I think you touched on a really important point. I mean, photographers are notorious for being these sort of lone wolves mm-hmm. and, and sort of like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to figure it out myself. And there's something to be said for being able to reach out and ask for help. Yeah. And for, ask it's, for information. Yeah. It's in, whether, you know, whether it's through an organization like ASMP or, or something else, I think that is so important because I think it, it's, we can't do everything and we can't know everything and, and being able to, you know, find a valuable resource like you have for the organization, I think is, is so important. Yeah. And I think especially now, because, you know, I, I know that the industry has changed quite a bit from, um, you know, in the last 10 years. And, and I hear this was before I got involved, but I hear a lot of photographers say like, oh yeah, you know, we used to go to the lab or we used to, I rented a studio with these five other guys and it was like so fun. And, and now it really is like, you're in this little, like, at least for me, it's a home office where I'm locked away from the world and weeks can go by and I haven't seen the sun or talked to a human being. And, um, and so I, I think that things like this are even more important now than they, than they were before for, for helping the, the current community, for helping the emerging photographers, you know, um, a rising tide sinks all ships. And I, I think we, we, we are stronger together, especially now with all the challenges that we face. So it's a great way to band together and, um, and feel supported. What, what are some of the uh, immediate benefits that people have if they become a, a member of the organization? What can they expect? Well, there's there's a there's a bunch. We actually have like tangible benefits that you know uh, discounts from Apple or discounts on workshops. Or there's a whole huge list um, which you can take advantage of. Uh, for me, the immediate benefit. So ASMP runs. We have we're a national organization, but we have um, chapters all around the country, and they're pretty well spaced out. And so for me, one of the immediate benefits was um, I got to go to these programs that the local chapters put on, learn some stuff, but also just meet people. I mean, it's it's a structured environment where you can walk in and um, and sort of the social ice is broken for you, if you will. Uh, the, the, the local chapters put on programs for the specific purpose of, of helping people and meeting people. And so um, that was hugely useful. And those people are now make up the core group of my, of my friends here. Um, we also have, we have tons of, uh, of, um, paperwork on, you know, you can look at everything from different estimates that photographers have put together. If you're looking for something, um, to reference, you can look at terms and conditions that have all been vetted by our lawyer. You can look at contracts, you can even download a template contract and throw your information in there. So it's really, 
the the business the breadth of the business information on the website is you know is is huge and that is another thing that I think people really search out especially when they're getting started is this primarily a, a organization that's targeted for commercial and editorial photographers or if it's our photographers who are in other genres uh, it's it's mostly toward uh, commercial I mean you People like say like retail photographers or wedding photographers, they may find that they're more suited for um, NPPA or PPA, but um, which are our sister organizations. I will say that uh, we are open to everyone, and and what we're seeing a lot of too is is a lot more crossover. Like I think I think the the genres used to be very segmented, and like you could not be a commercial photographer and also shoot weddings. That was just like, or if you did, you did not tell anybody about it. You know, it was like very very separate. And now we have. Um, a number of of great wedding photographers who've started to be tapped to shoot lifestyle just based on the style of their photography. And so they came to us because they recognize that the way that you deal with pricing and shooting and just the whole process of, of, of wedding photography is far different than the way you deal with the business of commercial photography. And so they were able, so they have come over in order to learn learn the differences and learn what they need to know. So it is open to everyone, but I would say for the most part, yeah, it's commercial and, uh, and editorial oriented. Uh, I know this is sort of a, a broad question, but I'm wondering what, what are some of the challenges that photographers in, in the organization are, are talking about? What's sort of a hot topic that that's uh, both maybe a concern or something that they're excited about? Well, <laughs> if you have another like three hours, <laughs> um, there's a lot, I think, uh, you know, I think right now it's it's the biggest thing is just how to make a living. I think that the the landscape of the industry has changed and it's really fascinating to me because I think overall like the value of photography, the amount that it's being used, the amount that it's being consumed is just higher than ever. I mean, it it's it's all over the place. Uh where there's some concern is is that the value of the person who created that, the creator um, is not always isn't isn't sort of rising at the same level as the as the way the value of the photography is perceived or not perceived. So there's there's something you know that's that's something that people are are very worried about, and that goes even as far as copyright and and you know everything on the internet is not free for you to have. Um, that people own the things that they create. Um, so that's really the biggest, but it's just it's just how to make a living in the changing landscape. The 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 technology has really lowered the 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 bar for entry uh, into this industry, and we're all searching for ways that we can um, that we can show why there's a value to having a professional photographer or videographer or creative person versus just you know good enough or point and shoot. So that's the biggest thing. So you know, that, that's an argument that I, I, I see bandied about that the fact because the bars have been lowered so so far because the technology allows anyone to be quote unquote a photographer, but you know for someone who's making a living, I think there's much there's so much more that goes into it than just being able to make a pretty picture. So yeah. you know when you hear that 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 argument being made, what's what's your response personally to people who? who want to say that uh, the photographic industry is being ruined by all these newbies with expensive cameras. I, the way I look at it is, is that uh, I have to look ahead. I think that there, I don't think it's being ruined. I think it is, it's just changed. Um, and that is scary. And I totally recognize that where the fear comes in. Um, I don't think there's any 
value to just going, oh, I wish it would go back to the way it was because I don't think it will. Um, there is value in looking at what worked then and trying to implement it in this new landscape, but sometimes that doesn't work either. And so what I try to do is I try to just, there, there's so many exciting things that are also happening right now um, as a result of technology. And I try to, to just embrace that and and use what I can and, and explore and try all this new stuff. And as far as clients go, I think that there is a real argument to be made for someone who runs a business being being more valuable. There's there's insurance. There's the fact that we have experience at this. We're going to be able to overcome challenges on set. We're going to be able to take what you give us like, okay, I need some photographs of blah, 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 and, and ask you the questions you didn't even know that you needed to ask. There's There's a lot of value to that. And it's just you just have to keep plugging away and chipping away and communicating it and know that some people for some people good enough is good enough and and you need to find the people who who understand that value and will, and will pay you for it they are out there yeah i think uh, one of the the challenges uh, increasingly is uh clients who uh who are going who want the all the rights, you know, mm-hmm. the, the rights grabs issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Some clients who want the actual raw files, not just the, the ones that you've retouched. So, you know, when you deal with those sort of challenges, what have you found that is sort of working for you in terms of being able to counter that without necessarily losing a potential client? The way I first look at it is, I mean, it's real easy to get like kind of all insulted when people ask that, you know, I just want this or I want the raws or whatever. And the first thing I try to do is, is just sit down and calmly explain it. Just assume that it's an innocent ask, that they're not trying to actually take something from you intentionally. Um, and as far as the licensing stuff goes, I mean, I, we have absolutely uh, had to become more flexible with that. Like the very strict, like, n- you know, you can use this image in, in North America for two months on a, you know, a quarter page uh, in a $10,000 circulate or 10,000 person circulation publication for what we do, the business, business stuff, we, that will not fly. And, and we learned that the hard way. We started just not getting jobs because we were really super strict about that. So what I try to do now is it, it is certainly loosened up, but I will limit it by either a, a time or, or an aspect. So I think mm, a lot of people, a lot of clients, you know, they just they just don't want to come back to you every time. Like, okay, now I want to use this photo on my mm-hmm. LinkedIn profile. I have to go find the photographer and I have to negotiate this thing. And and I totally understand that. I mean, the they don't know where the uses are all going to be. So I might limit it by time saying you can have unlimited uses for two years. Um, or I, I might also limit it by the scope. So I'll say, okay, you can have unlimited usage for two years, but that excludes like big money things like billboards or bus wraps or, or things where, or what have you, whatever you want. So it, it gives them the flexibility to use it in the social media and the internet sphere um, without having to come back to you every time, but you still have some bit of control over, over getting some money for if the value really increases greatly. So w- w- with the use of the images on, on social media, and is that something that's a big question for, for photographers in terms of what level of control they need to uh, sort of exercise on the use of their images or? Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think it varies um, by, by photographer. Uh, I know there was, there are people that have widely embraced like say Instagram and use it to, and they get jobs off of there and they have huge followings and they use it greatly. There are other people who won't use it because of the terms and conditions. And that's really kind of a, a personal thing. As far as um, the client use, I, 
there's no way I, I think that I could tell a client they couldn't use something, you know, uh, on social media. I, I, at least in my sphere of clients, they, that a lot of times that's what we're shooting for specifically is, is that outlet. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's where it goes. Um, you know, as far as people using your images and stealing them and screenshotting them and all that, it's, yeah, it's a constant thing. Um, I have to look at how much time do I want to invest in hunting these people down and, and all that. And when is it worth it? And and when is it not? Um, it's getting a little easier with some of the technology that's out there, but it can, it can take over your whole life, I think. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, though you're working for commercial clients, uh, I, I look at the images that you and John have created, and they're just really beautiful photographs. Thank you. Uh, so does, what helps keep the, the idea of working for a living, for doing, producing photographs for a client who has specific needs? What keeps it fun? How do you keep it fun and interesting for yourself so that you don't get burnt out or, or anything else? That's a really good question. Um, I do get burnt out actually quite a bit, uh, but, but what I do is, um, I do a lot of personal work. So just stuff, a lot of stuff hasn't even seen the light of day. Like I might try a new, um, type of video thing, or I might work on some composite images. A lot of the, a lot of the images we, we do are made up of, you know, seven or eight or nine different images all composited together. So that always gets me really excited. Like when I have a concept and, and I go shoot all the elements and I sit down and I put them together, uh, that always gets me kind of revved up about what I do for a living. Um, sometimes though, I need to just step away completely. Like I, I love to travel. So if I really get in a place where I can't, I can't function, uh, I'll, I'll travel somewhere, whether it's, you know, two hours away or halfway across the world. And I might take a camera or I might even just take my phone. Um, and I might shoot and I might not, but I don't put any any sort of limitations or any sort of requirements on it just to get away and just change perspective uh, for a little bit. Because I think for me, at least what happens is I, I can spend so much time on the internet looking at beautiful work and looking at great concepts and interesting ideas. And, and it, it's very inspiring in a way, but it's also, it, it's, it's, you have to be very careful about not comparing yourself in a negative way to all this stuff that you see out there. So sometimes the best thing for me is just to turn it all off and go surfing. Uh-huh. Well, my my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be for you and why? I would say the first person that popped into mind is somebody that I have, I don't know personally, but I have followed for a huge a long time. And that is John Keatley. And uh, he's based in Seattle. He does just the coolest work. I love his lighting style. He's a really interesting guy from what I've read on the interviews. And he's been his his look has been very influential to me um, as I've started to develop my own sense of direction and style. Uh, I've, I've turned to him a lot. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. I think I actually interviewed him, I think about two years ago now. Oh, did you? Do you want another one? No, no, that's great. I think uh, (laughs) if, you know, there'll be a link on the, uh, on the show notes for, for John's interview with me. So people who who have not uh, heard that interview, you'll have a chance to now. All right. And where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Um, you can find us at P2, letter P, number two, photography.net. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and whatnot. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's the main website. And there's a blog link there and all that. So that's where I'd send people. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for, for your time this morning. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, yeah. You, you're welcome. It was, it was fun. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners like you. To help support the work we do at TCF, please take the time to make a donation via PayPal for $10, $20, $50, or more. Your contributions have helped to make the show what it is. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.